always wanted to to teach a lot on the <laughs> verse from First Corinthians that says, "Love is not easily offended," because I think that is one of the primary attitudes that we have to have as ministers of reconciliation. It doesn't mean that we don't have beliefs. It doesn't mean we're relativists. It doesn't mean we're pacifists. But it means that we don't get personally offended when people have different opinions, even opinions that we think are wrong. We are much more effective ministers of reconciliation when we don't take things personally. The most effective action of reconciliation is to not need it. All right, the next action of reconciliation is forgive. So we have Jesus at the top, and then go, listen, lament, repent, and forgive. So we need a reader, another reader. Caroline just got volunteered. There you go, Caroline. So, how can you forgive someone who hasn't repented? Just group discussion. I mean, that's what we see here, right? It's not easy. (laughs) 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 Okay. What did you say, Sean? Our ability to forgive or to experience forgiveness is not dependent upon whether that person is repentant or not. <coughs> so it's, we can choose to move in that or to at least begin to choose that. They begin to journey toward it. Green. Part of it is acknowledging that whatever their offense is, is, is to God and not doesn't weigh on us. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. By remembering all the things I need forgiveness for that I haven't forgiven about or not affected me, that helps a lot. That's good. That's the way God treats me. Treated me. That's right. When he chose to forgive me, I'm not yet. That's good. Any other thoughts? So my favorite definition of forgiveness is something that Bree kind of touched on. And this is from George and Hannah Miley. Now, I think most of you know Hannah Miley's parents were killed by the Nazis. So the kinds of reconciliation that she's involved in is not a light thing. So this is what she and George say, which is on my screen, and I'm going to read it even though it's not. My network hasn't caught up yet. (coughs) Forgiveness does not minimize the wrong done. I think that's very important. It's not a matter of saying there wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Instead, Forgiveness turns over to God the right 
to revenge the wrong done. So what you're doing is you're not saying this, you're not even saying this wrong should not be revenged. It's not, you're not, you're not even going to that place. You're saying, I'm going to give to God the, the place of revenge for what was done. Because God is a very good judge. He's really, really good. And, and we're not very good. Um, and, it, and it's a burden on us that is not, um, it, it damages us to hold on to that. And so we're giving that to God. You be the judge. You revenge. It leaves payback in the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So what if God, you know, you're really giving it up. You're not saying, okay, I'll give this to God and I'm looking forward to what God has, you know, <laughs> what he does. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving it up and saying, whatever God chooses to do about this, I'm, I'm fine with. I'm good with that. It's in God's hands now. So it's clear, and this is very similar to what Bree was saying, it's clear that you can forgive someone who hasn't repented to you yet because you can give over to God the right to take revenge and you know whether or not they've repented to you. Now, of course, forgiveness is also expressed very appropriately in the place of someone who repents and apologizes to you to speak words of forgiveness to them is very important. Amy, do you want to talk about the attitude? I think Thomas has already touched on... Um, what is it? I'd say the attitude that enables us to forgive is one of surrender. Um, and I, I think, once again, believing that you are safe in God, believing that God will make things right in the end, even horrible things, even horrible things like the Holocaust, that somehow God is great enough, God is good enough, God is big enough to, um, to make that up, to, 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 for people who have been offended that deeply for them to say, one day, Jesus, you are good, you are beautiful, and you have made all things right. That God is that powerful, um, I think, is really helpful. Um, and another thing that I would say is, is forgiveness. Um, I, I don't think that Jesus was feeling warm, fuzzy things about the soldiers that were nailing him to the cross. He forgave them, and I think, yes, he loved them, but um, forgiveness is not, we, we will have feelings that flare up occasionally against people that have, have um, offended us. And so sometimes we can say, have I, have I forgiven them or does it make me feel? And, and I, I think that surrender really is, is the key. If you can bring yourself back to that place of surrender, then, then you can live in this forgiveness. There's a really beautiful story from Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. How many of you have read that book? Okay, if you haven't read it, I really recommend it. Um, but she was also, she was a Christian, she was not a Jew, but she was put in a concentration camp and um, her father and her sister and the nephew all died there. Um, she made it out and she was speaking to some people after the war was over. She was speaking to them about Jesus and she was, became a great evangelist and speaker. And there was a German man who heard her one night come up to her, he walked up to her, and he said, I, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. 
And I'm so thankful to hear this message because now I can be forgiven. And Corey's <laughs> um, reaction was one of shut down and anger. And, and, and he reached out his hand to her and, and out of sheer obedience and knowing what the right thing to do was, she took his hand, though she was, she was reeling inside. And when she did, she felt this grace, she felt a warmth come, and she was able to, um, to really forgive him from the heart and give him what he really needed at that mm. point. He really needed forgiveness. He really needed the human touch and Corey Ten Boom did not feel it, but she had, she was formed deeply in the heart where she knew the right thing to do and somehow her body could do it even though her mind was, was um, yeah. not there. That's good. All right. That's good. Another, you know, Hannah's written a book, just a second, right? And at one point, we talked about Verena earlier, the daughter of a Nazi. At one point in Hannah's journey, she was standing with Verena at the gate of the concentration camp where her parents were killed. Together, the daughter of a Jew killed by Nazis and the daughter of one of the leading Nazis of Austria. And together they grieved and repented and for expressed forgiveness. And George often says, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. So, yes, right. There's someone that I've had trouble forgiving for about 15 years now. I my family. Uh, and I think the thing that, that has recently, gradually been helping me uh, is, uh, aside from what's been mentioned, those were all helpful to me, actually. But I realized that, uh, and I didn't invent this, but my forgiving him and our mutual reconciliation are two distinct things. We are not yet reconciled. Because he, he has expressed no Dependence, remorse, even acknowledgement of what he's done. So I can't say that we will have the closest fellowship based on Jesus, although he professes to be a Christian, and be truly reconciled. Because mm -hmm. I can't control his part. But I right. can't forgive it. And yeah. once I realize that, that the goal, um, that my goal is to do what is right, my prayer is that we would be reconciled. Good. Yep. The goal is what you can do. Yep. And my goal finally was to seek to be able to forgive him in Christ, regardless of whether we could be fully reconciled. And that distinction was way through. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, that's very good. All right, now we're going to begin meddling a little. Make it right. The next action of reconciliation. All right, I need another reader. Someone with a... Jerry? Wonderful. Oops, sorry. There we go. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Wow. So this is a dangerous, maybe controversial topic, one of restitution, reparations. You mean reconciliation might actually touch my stuff? Count me out. Seriously. It can be very frightening to anticipate what this might mean. I've heard this as an excuse given for not even entering the beginning of the reconciliation process. For example, it wasn't me that took the land of the Native Americans. If I apologize, am I going to have to give them back my house too? I've heard that. I've heard that. So, first of all, let's not allow the fear of the cost of making things right, once again, be a barrier to, to walking with Jesus in this process. Why? A few reasons. One is, reconciliation can be effective and healing without restitution. We have an example this week uh, on CNN, once again. This stuff is in the news all the time, the stuff we're talking about, if you start looking for it. So, it, so this article is very interesting because, number one, it talks about the importance and the ability of reconciliation to take place and be powerful without restitution. Number two, it shows that even CNN understands that rightfully restitution should be made. <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah. Amy, did you want to say something before? No, okay, this article. Okay. So this was about the Mitsubishi. Did y'all catch this one when it came out? So Mitsubishi enslaved POWs and people they captured from the various nations, the Mitsubishi Corporation in Japan, and made them work in their corporation as slaves during the war. So, the, so if you think about it, is anybody here driving a Mitsubishi car? I mean, the, the foundation of the company in a certain way is built on the backs of slave labor of POWs. It's not a pretty thing to consider. And the CEO of Mitsubishi finally apologized for this just a couple weeks ago. And there were two known survivors of this in America of this camp who worked for Mitsubishi. And one of them was named James Murphy. So it says, as a former former prisoner of war, James Murphy warmly accepted the apology that was given. He said he was elated by the apology, which he had waited to hear in the seven decades since he had been freed. I mean, that, that, that's beautiful. It moves my heart to think of that. And then CNN adds, Mitsubishi has not offered financial compensation for the forced laborers. It's an interesting comment. Mm -hmm. That they understand that rightly it would. Rightly the corporation would. Okay? 
interesting thing, it says the August 15th anniversary of Japan's surrender. So this yeah. is also the, the anniversary of the Japanese surrender today. Yes, and there was interesting news yesterday about the apologies, how long do you have to make apologies as a country? I mean, it's just very, it's all worth considering. Okay, second of all, why, do you, why should you not, not enter reconciliation because of the fear of the cost of restitution? Second reason. As the story of Zacchaeus shows, restitution can be, and in fact rightly should be, a joyful act. It is part of the healing process. You know, our definition of reconciliation, it removes the hostility and repairs the damage it has done. We're talking now about this process of repairing the damage. This is awesome. To have damage repaired, to have relationships healed is a beautiful, joyful, wonderful thing. It's worth asking, what is our restitution to God? How do we make it right to God? We cannot. We cannot. But there's joy in obeying, and there's joy in responding, and there's joy in saying, I give you everything. You gave everything for me. I give you everything. And, it's, and it's, it's difficult. It's not easy, but it is rightly joyful. Third of all, this is really helpful. This is very, very helpful. Okay, so I'll set the stage. I'm talking to Rick Randall, who's a pastor in Austin who's worked extensively in the area of reconciliation. Racial, for a while he was the police, designated police monitor for the city of Austin for racial police issues. Um, so we're sitting around the table talking about Wittenberg, and he says, he said, well, one of the things when I approach the topic of reconciliation, he says, for example, you have a husband and a wife, and you come and you talk, and finally you reach a point of agreement, and let's just say it's the husband who apologizes to the wife, and the wife forgives him. I then say to the husband, I want you to ask your wife a question. The question is this. Honey, what can I do to make it right? Very simple question. What can I do to make it right? And he says if this is a prolonged process to where, for instance, he meets with the man beforehand and says this is the next part, he says oftentimes the response is, oh, I can't do that, you know. It would be too much. The cost would be too high. You know, goodness, I see now, you know, whatever. And man, how could I ever make that right? She's going she's gonna to lower the boom. You know, all right, I'm waiting for that. Now here's the list. It says, when the question gets asked in the context of a process of reconciliation, it's almost always met with a very gracious response from the other party. It's something very simple usually, something very, you know. And, and the, 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 in this case, let's say the man comes away amazed that there's not, it's not the huge you know, weight of the burden of, you know, carry, walking this through for the next 10 years. It's just something very simple. Well, you know, who knows? I'm sure you can think of examples. So this is the point. You don't necessarily set the price of retribution. And what if Mitsubishi talked to this James Murphy and said, look, Mr. Murphy, not only are we sorry, what can we do to make this right? It would be very interesting to find out what Mr. Murphy would have, would have said. So that's a really, you know, one of the things we're hitting here in this 
teaching is a lot of questions you can ask in the process, and that's a really good one. What can I do to make this right? It's a courageous question to ask. Okay, Amy, you want to talk? Well, I'll just say this. Um, John Patrick was hearing us talk about this talk, and he said, there's so much fruit analogy here, because one of the things I said is, yeah, well, um, joy is the fruit of repentance. Restitution is also the fruit of repentance. He said, too much fruit talk. I said, okay, restitution is the vegetable of repentance. <laughs> <laughs> restitution is the vegetable of repentance. Now, now we're getting to logo territory here, Mark. <laughs> All right. All right, last, well, not the last. Celebrate. This is actually a really good and important action that's oftentimes shortchanged. A reader, Patrick. Sure. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> I, I will say one thing. Um, I heard it, once again, this was just a secular study on marriage. And um, they were studying what things were healthy for marriage and what things damaged marriage. And they found that you know, it's, not, it's not good when couples cannot grieve together. So if one is sad and the other one can't relate, that, that is not good for a marriage. But what is far more um, damaging to a marriage is when one couple, when, when one member of the couple is happy and celebrating and the other one can't enter into their joy, that is far more damaging in a marriage. And so, um, you know, maybe a practical application of this is that we rejoice when, um, when people that, that we need to be reconciled with have something to rejoice over, we rejoice with them. That's a, a practical application. Yeah, good. All right. So let me speak about the image. We're going to get to the last action here in just a second. Let me speak about the image. The words that are inside the figure of Jesus in this image are actually things that you could imagine in a paper that was completely separate from a Christian context. These are actions that can be taken, you know, and you, you come across these things like CNN saying retribution, um, you know, some sort of recompense would be a right thing to do. But for us, we are in the context of our relationship with Jesus as the kingdom of God, of the outworking of the church on the earth. And so the beginning point of Jesus that we talked about briefly is absolutely crucial. And this next point I think is also something that you really can't get to if you're if you're apart if you're trying to do reconciliation apart from Christ. And that is glory. Glory. 
I love ending with glory. You might say, well, you've cheated again. Put a noun where you should have a verb for action. No, glory is a verb. Oh, I was supposed to have a slide of the definition online of glory as a verb. Somebody with a fast phone, look up definition of glory as a verb and read out. Uh, to rejoice proudly. Awesome. Anything else? That's it. Yeah, it was, it was the one I looked online said like, you know, to exult, to, it was just this beautiful picture of, of a public, yeah. To feel or express joy or triumph. Triumph. Very good. This is, this is hard work, it's a battle. When you're done with the battle, throw out, throw out the stops. Another thing about glory is it's public. Glory is a public thing. Now, Making public, thank you, like that. The reconciliation is appropriate. We talked about going in private earlier. One of the things that we mentioned in a previous talk is hostility is always public. You may think it's not. You may think the children aren't listening to your little discussion in the bedroom. But you find out one day that, in fact, your hostility is a public action. You can tell, if you ever walked into a situation where two people are at odds and you can just, you know it. I mean, I'm not very empathetic and I can tell sometimes. People who are really empathetic and gifted that way can just, those two, man. They may think no one knows, but hostility is public. Now the appropriate thing after something is resolved that was public is to make the resolution public and give God glory for it. God took us through, God brought us through. It's a little bit of what was being said earlier about the, the church, evangelical free church. If, you know, if the conflict is with a group of 200, visible to a group of 200, then the resolution should also be. They've seen the ugliness. Let them see the glory. Let them see the glory. Also, in Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17, he seems to strongly connect glory and unity. Go back and reread that passage. It's all about glory and unity. And it's, it's not a sequential thing like this where glory pops out the other side. It's very interwoven, very organic. So, the last, last thing I'll say about this is, is the purpose of reconciliation to be reconciled? Is that the purpose? Think about it. In the kingdom of God, I believe it's not. Hostility has been removed. The damage has been repaired. The unity that was originally intended by God is restored. This unity is the unity of the Trinity. That's the brilliance of what Amy brought us at the very beginning. This is what we're after. We're after the unity of the Trinity. That's the bar we've set. <laughs> Pretty high bar, but we only set it because Jesus set it for us. John 17. We would have never dared. But he did. Now, is the Trinity passive? The Trinity is active. God is working. God is at work. And I believe that 
that unity is not only for its own sake, it's a beautiful thing in and of itself, but we have work to do. And the work is much more effective if we're united. So, I want to challenge you at the end. A part of glory is to discover the purpose for which the reconciliation has happened. Now that the relationship is restored, let's live it. Let's do what's intended by God. Get together with the other person or the other group and begin to explore these types of questions. What is the purpose from eternity's perspective of our relationship, which has now beautifully been restored? What does God have in mind for that relationship? How do we join Jesus and serve his eternal purposes? Jesus has a purpose. History has an end. He's, he's on a mission. Let's join with him and ask, what is our purpose? How do we fit into that? And then the last question, where do we go from here? We've done the hard work. Now, where do we go from here? What's next? I love the biblical example of this glory. Who's going to be the reader? John Michael, would you be the reader? Sure. Okay, you may have to come out here. If you when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Isn't that beautiful? Reconciliation has happened. The damage has been repaired in a beautiful way. And then Jesus says, okay, here's, here's the call in your life, Peter. Here's where we're going from here. And so we can be in the same place and say, you know, let's, yes, let's pray for reconciliation. But, you know, Let's ask, what is the purpose? What is the higher calling? Where are we going with this? And not be content only when we, if, if anything is achieved, that leads us to unity. Then he said to him, follow me. That's the end. It's the beginning and the end. We follow him into reconciliation, and at the end, we also follow him. So, there we go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, what I'd like to do, what time are we at? Oh, friend, timekeeper. Uh-huh. 1.48. Okay, good. We have some time. We're going to be done at 2.30. I'd like to form us into groups. Now, we've covered a lot of material. There's a lot of places we could go with this. But what I want to do is focus this down and say, one of the purposes of doing this series at Christ the Reconciler is we're called to reconciliation in the body of Christ. The third arena, brother to brother, where brothers are streams, denominations. Catholic, Protestant being the obvious one, 
here. I'd like to form us into small groups and discuss, look at these, you, hopefully you can find a couple of these laying around or you have the notes of what they are, and just talk about what does this look like in the context of groups? You know, we've mostly used examples of individuals and personal relationships. How do we apply this? What do these actions look like in the context of our churches, our denominations, the groups, of the, the streams of the